<coughs> getting out of survival mode. And there might be some of us that feel that we maybe just survived this year. Um, and I want to I want to go ahead and make a blanket statement that this isn't just for people that maybe you're going through something. Maybe you didn't finish 2012 as strong as you wanted to, and you're looking for better things. Maybe you're here and you feel 2012 was great and awesome. Uh, we we saved more money. We our family's doing better than ever. As parents, we feel that this was a great year for us. Um, I want to. This is a blanket statement for everybody because. We all can easily end up in survival mode, and some of us don't even know we're in it. Because survival mode, survival mode is doing the same thing you did before. God is a God of levels. God is always wanting you to move from grace to grace, from faith to faith. He never intends you, for the rest of your life, he never intends for you to be in the same place. He always wants to move you deeper. He always wants to move you somewhere else. There's always something else he has for us, and there's always a transition period because there's going from point A to point B. He's always moving. God is alive and active. His word is alive and active. That means his word can tell me something today, and this time next year it tell me something completely different. And so I want us to... Look at our lives. Evaluate our lives. Evaluate where we're at. Regardless of where we're at, I want us to look at 2013 as being a year of difference, being a year of doing something different, being something different, having something different. And um, so getting out of survival mode, that's where I want to go this morning. (coughs) And uh, if you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. The first point that I want to make, I'm going to make several points. These really could be steps to getting out of survival mode. Steps to getting out of survival mode. The first one I want to make is God can get you out of Egypt, but it's your responsibility to get Egypt out of you. God can get you out of Egypt, but it is our responsibility to get Egypt out of us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 19. It says, So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, You have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving to us giving to us. Our God is giving this to us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not be, uh, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well. This is Moses speaking, by the way. The plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land 
which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified terrified or afraid. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, when you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you search out before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Moses is recounting to the Israelites that one, God rescued you, delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. They were slaves of the Egyptians for 435 years. Generations after generation after generation to the point that the ones that came out of Egypt didn't know anything but slavery to the Egyptians. They didn't know what it was like to be free. They didn't know what it was like to be their own people. They didn't know what it was like to make their own decisions, go where they want to go, do what they want to do. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. And so now Moses goes in, and we know the story. He delivers them. Ten plagues came because Pharaoh refused to let his people go, let God's people go. And Moses brings them out into the wilderness. A journey that if you read the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 1, should have taken 11 days. Shouldn't have even taken two weeks to get from where, from slavery to the promised land. Promised land, E.D. Past tense, this has been promised to you. This is, this is old news. This land was promised to these Israelites thousands of years before they even showed up on the planet. To a man named Abraham. But for some reason, we think that when uh, obstruction comes, destruction comes, trials and tribulations start to show up, that all of a sudden God's plans don't mean anything. But God still had a plan. God still had a plan to get them into the promised land. So Moses delivers them out of Egypt. But we know what happened in the wilderness. They grumbled. They complained. They griped. In essence, they operated in doubt and unbelief to God's word. Because if they truly believed that God was going to give them this land, they wouldn't have acted that way. They would have known no matter what comes against us in the wilderness, we're going to get to the promised land. No matter what is in the promised land, when we get there, it belongs to us. And so they complained, they griped, they grumbled, they operated in doubt and unbelief, they disobeyed God. 
It took them 40 years to get through the wilderness instead of 11 days. Actually, if you read it, it took 40 years and 11 months. It almost took 41 entire years to get to the promised land. And watch this. None of them that came out of Egypt went in. Except for Joshua and Caleb. The only ones that were allowed to go into the promised land were 20 years and under, which means they were born in the wilderness. People that didn't have a mentality of slavery, people that didn't have a mentality of being owned and controlled by someone else. Here's what happened. God got them out of Egypt, but God could not get Egypt out of them. They still lived like slaves. How many times did they say, uh, the Lord hates us, as you heard? Because he has brought us out of Egypt to be slain by these enemies. Because, yeah, when they got to the promised land, it was inhabited. There were people living in the promised land. They expected to walk up on a land that was just completely empty and had nobody in it. But no, there were giants in the land. There were people living there. And so now they've shown up on the land that belongs to them and somebody else has it. What would you and I think, just in a normal case? Our thought, proce our thought process, I would hope, would be there's somebody living in my stuff. <laughs> but no, the Israelites see that and goes, oh, well, then we must not, that must not be ours. I mean, these people live here. Must be, I mean, if, if, if God showed you this is your house, I'm going to give you this house, and you go to the house and you find out someone else is living in it, we would probably do the same thing. We'd probably think, oh, well, God must have been, our, you know, he must have had an off day. He must have missed it on this revelation because there's actually somebody already in the house. So God got Egypt, got them out of Egypt, but he could not get Egypt out of them. They acted like slaves. They still had a mentality, a mentality, because God can't change your will. God can't change your thought process. He can't force you to think a certain way. He can't force you to do something. And he gave them every resource possible to live free from slavery, free from the Egyptians. Showed them miracle after miracle after miracle. He parts the Red Sea. He gets water out of a rock. He gives them manna in the morning on the ground every single day for breakfast. And has birds bring them meat at night for dinner. Every single day. In the daytime, he's leading them by a cloud. At night, he's leading them by fire. I mean, what more do you need? You have every resource possible, yet they still do not possess the land that he's given them. If you read over in Deut Deuteronomy chapter 9, you actually find out that God was upset with the Israelites not possessing the land for a different reason. 
you actually find out that he says to them, the reason I brought you out of Egypt to possess this promised land is because that's my land that I've given to my people. And there's somebody else living in it. Well, why didn't God just destroy them? Why didn't God just go down there and get those people out of there? I mean, he did. He, why didn't he pull a Sodom and Gomorrah? A Sodom and Gomorrah on him. Why didn't he just start killing people off? Because God has given someone else authority in the earth. Who has the authority in the earth to operate and to work? Not God. We do. We have the authority. He tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 9, I'm upset with you because I wanted you to go and destroy those enemies because they, they have disobeyed my word. They have not lived the way I want them to live. They are enemies of me because they are enemies of you. You are to go in and destroy them. That's why he was upset. The blessing of living in the promised land was a uh, was a side effect, if you will. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to go in there and destroy the giants, destroy the Amorites, destroy the Amalekites, destroy every person that was living in their land because they had sinned against God. And they didn't belong there. That's what he says. And so if you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, so the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking about the moment when Moses came down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments. And Aaron had led the people to build a golden calf. And the earth opened up and swallowed people, the Israelites. Very destructive to come out of one place and go into another with the same mental thought process that you had in the other. And we've all done it. When we get to the new place and we say, man, it was better over there. You know, God, you know, has us start a business. And there's a lot more responsibility that comes with owning your own business. And you start thinking, man, you know, I had it easier when I was working for the man. You know, I didn't have to worry about all this. I didn't have to go home thinking about it. I mean, someone else was taking care of me. I mean, you get those thoughts. Man, it was, it's always better the opposite. Because you have the single guy looking at the married, per, married guy saying, man, you know, I can't wait till I get married. I want to be married. I want to have kids. I want a family. And the married guy is looking at the single guy saying, man, he gets to go home, put his microwave pizza in the oven and. You know, he doesn't have to worry about kids everywhere. He doesn't have to ask a wife if he's in it. We always want the other. 
the old looks at the young and says, man, what it was like to be young. And the young looks at the old and says, man, I want to grow up. Right? I mean, uh, up until, you know, 18, you're thinking, man, I just want to be an adult. And then the adults are thinking, man, I just want to be the child. And I don't have to pay bills. I don't have to pay the mortgage. Wonder how we're going to get food on the table? Go work tomorrow? You always want the opposite. The Egyptians did the, the Israelites did the same thing. We had it better in Egypt. You know, this still happens today with people that come out of prison and come out of jail. They get out here after being in prison, and this is too hard. It is easier in jail because they don't have to work. They don't have to find food because they're given their nice three hot meals a day. They have a place to sleep. They're safe. They don't have to go out in the real world. This happens all the time. They get out of prison and they do something stupid just to get caught and go back to prison. It's a cycle. Why? Because it was better in there. That's how the devil locks up your mind. See, we can't get into 2013 and start walking in the great things God has for us and start thinking, man, you know, it was better in 2012 when I didn't have all that. It was better in 2012 because... With all those things comes a new responsibility, and we have a responsibility first and foremost to get rid of the mentality we had in 2012. God can get you out of Egypt, but it is our responsibility to get Egypt out of us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, bless you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life in 2013. And it's going to require a transformation of the mind. A mind renewal. Renewing of the mind. This is a consistent, constant, daily process that goes on. You can't go back to a certain day or a certain time in your life and say, on July 13, 2005, uh, I renewed my mind. Can't do that. There's no event. It's a lifestyle. It's ongoing. It's always happening. And so by renewing our mind, we get out of staying in the old mindset that we were bound in. The old mindset that, hey, that mindset may have even worked for us in a previous point in life. But God, being a God of levels, has brought us to another place where that mindset won't work here anymore. Got to get out of survival mode. We got to do something different. And here's the reason why we go to our mind. Because thinking different is the key to living different. Thinking different is the key to living different. 
You won't do anything different with your money in 2013 if you think the same way about money as you did in 2012. You won't do anything different with your marriage in 2013 if you think the same way you did in 2012. Physically, I mean, next month we're getting, the gyms are getting ready to get logged. I'm going to have to find a new time to go work out because they're about to get jam-packed with people signing up memberships to get physically fit. I'm going to get healthier this year. But if you think about yourself the same way you did in 2012, you will do nothing different in 2013 because the key to living different is thinking different. I got to see money differently. I got to see my marriage differently. I got to see my family differently. I got to see myself differently. The mental, the mental side is the first place you have to fix. The Egyptians never lived different because they never thought different. And they couldn't even enter into what God had for them because they weren't thinking properly. They said, Let, all right, you know what? God wants us to take that land. Let's send 12 spies. Send in 12 spies. And Moses said, that plan worked for me. That's good. Let's do it. Let's, let's take a look at what God has for us. Sometimes we think that if we could get a picture or a glimpse of what God wants for us, that'll make it easier. But the Israelites, 10 out of 12, came back and said, there's no way we can do it. It's a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's got grapes the size of your head. And they had to carry fruit back on branches, on, on sticks, on poles. But there's giants in the land. We are like grasshoppers in their eyes. Numbers chapter 13. That's what they came back with. Seeing what God had for them only scared them off further because they weren't mentally capable of taking the land. If they had gotten their mind right, then when they saw what God wanted for them, then they would have said, that's ours. Those people are living in our land. Those giants are possessing what belongs to us. See, in 2013, there's something God has for you. There's blessings God wants to pour out for you this next year. But are you going to get there and see someone else owning your stuff and think, oh, we can't do that? See, if you want what God has for you, you got to be willing to fight the battle. People in survival mode don't fight the battle. They're just trying to stay alive. When you fight the battle to win, you get out of survival mode. Survival mode is just trying to fight them off just to try to stay alive. You're not trying to win anything. And God's got something that he wants us to overtake, overcome. You may have been dealing with something in your body physically, and then you come up on healing. Oh, but Satan has my healing. Well, he shouldn't have your healing. That healing belongs to you. That healing belongs to you. That is your healing. You need to fight to take it back. You need to fight to hold on to it. 
because somebody else is possessing something that belongs to you. Well, you know, I just can't seem to get out of, you know, our finances are just a mess. We don't know where it goes. We don't know what's going on. We just can't seem to get out of this financial rut. Well, maybe we need to get our mind right about how to operate money, how to use money, how to make money work for us. You can't go out your go after your money the same way you did in 2012. Let me put it this way. You can't give the same way you did in 2012. If you want something different to happen with your money, you're going to have to operate differently with it in 2013. So we need to do something different. The definition of insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't want to be insane. I don't want to do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. Well, every time I got sick last year, I just went to the doctor. You know, they just, you know, they just went and got medication, got it fixed. But, you know, I just haven't been able to, it just seems to keep coming back every year. Well, maybe we need to attack that differently this next year. Because doing the same thing will always yield the same result. So we got to do something different. The key to doing something different is thinking different. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Whose responsibility, whose responsibility is it to set your mind? Ours. Us. Me. It doesn't say God will set your mind. It says you set your mind. That means this is what you think on. It's our responsibility to think on. He can get us out of Egypt, but we have to get ourselves. We have to get Egypt out of ourselves that happens in the mind the second point the second step is to get where you're going you have to leave something behind to get where you're going you have to leave something behind god operates in levels but when he goes from level to level something has to get left behind this is where we struggle the most this is probably the hardest part This is we want to, everything that we collect on the way, we want to keep it. But he says the deeper you go and the further you get, the more you got to let go of. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, this is a popular verse, popular passage. Paul is speaking, and in verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also lay hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I am forgetting those things which are behind. Now, there are things in our lives that we don't have any problem forgetting. You know, when you got saved, there were things that you wanted to get rid of. I wanted to kick that habit. I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I didn't enjoy that lifestyle. I didn't enjoy doing those things. And now that I'm saved, thank God I have freedom from that. But there's things that sometimes are harder to let go of. Like friends, and people, relationships. Sometimes those are harder to let go of than the things that we hated about our lives. We can all look back and think on things that we used to do that we hated to do. And thank God we're a new creation. All things are become new. But then there's some of those things that we want to hang on to. Well, you know, that going to see those kind of movies, that's not so bad. I mean, you know, it doesn't affect me. Listening to that kind of music, hanging out with those people, doing this or doing that. But there's certain things that as you go deeper, God will begin to reveal to you that you can't continue doing this or holding on to this if you're going to get here. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. He's trying to get us out of Egypt. But there were some things that the Israelites held on to that they had when they were in Egypt that God needed them to let go of. And they didn't let go. And they never obtained. And Paul said, I'm reaching forward to the prize. I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And he had things in his life that he wanted to forget. Trust me. He used to murder Christians. He used to have them killed. He used to stand there and watch them as they got stoned. He put them in prison. He tortured them. He didn't, he didn't care for that lifestyle. He wanted to get rid of that. But what about the things that, you know, that doesn't really bother me. I, I've been able to, I did all right in 2012. I'm going to tell you right now, December 30th, 2013 will not be different for you than this year. It will be disappointing. If 2013 were just as good as 2012, that should be a disappointment for you because God's wanting to move you further. And sometimes we think, man, you know, I had such a great year. If I could have another year like this, I'll be doing good. <laughs> but God's got more. I want to walk in everything God has, and I'm disappointed and not satisfied until I get everything that God has for me. I'm excited about where we're at today as a church, but if we're still here 365 days from now, I'm going to have to reevaluate some stuff. I can't say, well, you know, I'm comfortable. We got us four and no more. You know, we're a nice, tight-knit family. We're learning the word. We're growing. But if we're still here, December 30th, 2013, we got to look at some stuff.
we ought to be able to, this time next year, be able to say, look at what we did. Look at this. Look at that. Look at who came in. Look at what God did. We got to be able to keep pressing forward, and the pressing forward requires a letting go of something. John chapter 15, verse 2. Jesus talked about this letting go. He calls it a cleansing. He calls it pruning. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That word pruning means cleansing. And the cleansing comes by the word of God. You need to allow the word in this next year to cleanse you, prune you, cut things off as you're in the word. Let it show you and reveal things to you in your life that you know what? If I'm going to do more this next year, I can't not. I cannot carry this. I cannot do this. I cannot have a connection with this. I have to go deeper. I have to go further. If I'm going to bear more fruit, not saying that the, that the vine didn't bear any fruit, but he's looking for more fruit. You may have had a fruitful 2012, but if you want to bear more fruit in 2013, cut some things off. Allow the word. Allow God to reveal things in your life that need to be pruned, that you need to let go of. And pruning, cutting, that's not easy. In fact, it can be painful. But it's for growth. It's so you bear more fruit. It's so we go deeper. It's so we go further. If we're going to go deeper, we have to let go of something. The last point that I have, <clears throat> the last point I have is we should not be in survival mode, but in overcoming mode. See, what you got to recognize from, from the Israelites is that everything God gave them was past tense. Already happened. I have given you this land. This is the promised land. You just have to go in and possess it. That means you just have to go in and make it yours. Look, everything you're looking for in this next year, it's already yours. You're not in survival mode. You're in overcoming mode. You are victorious. You are a winner. You are more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus. Everything you need, if it's financial uh, provision in your life, it's already yours. If it's healing, it's already yours. If it's a restored marriage, it's already yours. If it's a stronger, tight-knit family, it's already yours. It belongs to you. Regardless of if you possess it today or not, it's yours. The promised land belonged to the Israelites when they were still slaves in Egypt. It was theirs. They just didn't possess it. So we have to get out of survival mode. I'm just trying to make it through another year. Well, I made it through 2012. I got out by the skin of my teeth. Look, as Christians, we should never be in survival mode. Paul said that 
He hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 1 John 4, 4. Here's some encouraging verses for you for 2013. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. These are verses you need to confess over your life throughout 2013. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And I have overcome. John 16. John 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. If you're looking anywhere else but Jesus for peace, you will be empty. Jesus has peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Past tense. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That verse would have really helped the Israelites. <laughs> when they sent the 12 spies in, that verse would have been great for them. There's giants in the land. There's people that are possessing what belongs to us. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Look, no matter what you come across this next year, I hope that you can reflect back on this moment, December 30th, 2012, and remember that although that may not be in my possession today, if God is for me, then who can be against me? God is on your side. God is on your side. I think sometimes we forget that because we act like it's not true. God is on our side. He is for us. He already has your life planned out. He's already given you every provision, every blessing you need, every resource. You have it. Well, Pastor Mark, I... I I mean, I just don't possess it right now. My finances are a wreck. My, my, my home is, is, is in horrible shape. My health is just, just can't seem to get it in order. No matter how many doctors I go to, how many medications I take. If God is for you, who can be against you? It's yours. Whether you possess it or not, you need to go in and take and possess what's yours. We got to get out of survival mode. Romans 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look, he loves you. He loves you so much 
that he didn't just save you. He didn't send his son as the greatest demonstration of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. But he didn't just give that to you so we can get out of this. Because let me tell you, heaven is not the promised land. Heaven is not the promised land. I don't know what your promised land looks like. And I don't know what your Egypt looks like. But we all have an Egypt. And we all have a promised land. Your promised land may be financial security. Your promised land may be a restored marriage. Your promised land may be my family coming back to God. Your promised land may be your health. Your promised land may be becoming tighter with your walk with God, closer. I don't know what your resolutions are for this next year. And I don't know what your Egypt is. I don't know what you've come out of. I don't know what is enslaving you. I don't know what has got a hold on you and got a grip on you. But I do know this. If God is for you, who can be against you? I do know this, that through Christ Jesus, you are more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror. I do know this, that he has overcome the world. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Whatever it is you're believing for, I want you to take a moment, just bow your head, close your eyes. Every person, every single person in this room, you take a moment, and I don't care what your 2012 looked like. If it was great, great. If it wasn't quite, didn't quite measure up to everything you hoped for, I want you to take a moment right now. Resolve within yourself that I will think different in 2013. So I can live different in 2013 and possess the promised land. Father, I thank you for every individual here under the sound of my voice. Thank you for every family. Father, we look back only to look on your faithfulness. Only, only to look at the times that you came through for us. The things that you brought us out of. But Father, we allow your faithfulness to propel us. To help us believe for greater. Help us believe for more. Help us believe that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we place all our trust in you, all of our hope in you. We believe, we don't walk in doubt and unbelief, but we believe that you can get us to possess the land you have promised us. Father, we're all believing for something. We're all resolving for something. Show us those things that are within us that we need to cut away, cut off, let go of. Those things that are 
they're actually holding us back. They're actually keeping us from obtaining the promises you have. Reveal those things to us, Father. We allow your word this morning and throughout this next year to cleanse us. Father, we look forward to a great year. Great year as individuals. Great year as a church. Great year as families. We are looking forward to a great 2013. We thank you for the promises that you have made available to us. Father, we're going deeper. We're going to another level. And I thank you, Father, that you are constantly growing us, making us stronger. We love you and we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.